All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. It is American Thanksgiving, so happy Thanksgiving to all of our American listeners out there. Um, Because of that, uh, this whole NHL week has kind of been turned upside down. Tuesday, only three games. Wednesday, 14 games. Mm. Friday, I think there's like 11 or 12. So the whole week is a bit bizarre. So the streaming is not even really like a thing. Um, this week, Monday, Tuesday, you could got a couple streamers in, but Friday's busy, Saturday's busy, Wednesday's busy. Like every day is just busy. So, um, we're not really going to go over any streamers. That's why I did not do a Monday report yesterday. It just didn't really make a lot of sense just given what this week is, but we are recording on Tuesday for, I think the first time in this podcast's history. So hope you guys enjoy that. Um, we'll, we're going to talk about, uh, a, a ton of players today. So, um, I got a couple questions, um, throughout this week, just asking about a number of players, um, and kind of what to do with them. Players that you, most of these guys you drafted early uh, or early-ish and, and they just aren't performing. Um, one name that came up a lot was Sean Couturier uh, and that's who we'll start with. But basically this entire segment is just going to be 
what to do with some of your struggling stars or you know, perceived stars and how to handle them, whether or not it's time to drop them, uh, whether or not you need to be patient with them, you know, what their underlying numbers look like, if there's hope on the horizon or if, uh, if all hope is just completely lost. So uh, with that, let's start, start with Sean Couture, just because I know he's kind of been a polarizing figure uh, these last couple games, just really has fallen off the map. Um, I know that the, even some Flyers reporters have just been saying, like, he just hasn't looked himself lately. They shuffled the lines around, too, and that's really not done him any favors since taking Giroux off his line. Uh, in his last six games, just one assist. Um, does have 15 shots over that span, which is a nice sign. Playing 19 minutes, typical Sean Couturier stuff, but uh, just one assist in his last six. What do you think about Sean Couturier right now, D? Um, you know, I, I think you have to kind of, be patient here and it'll probably be a theme with you know a lot of the guys we're talking about today because they're um, obviously a, a big slate of guys that are underperforming but um, you know relative to what we're used to seeing from them so um, it's obviously been a disappointing stretch for Couturier uh, on the whole it's still been a pretty solid start to the season for him he's got 13 points uh, in 16 games um, but as you said uh, before Brock just uh, one point uh, in his last uh, seven so um, yeah, he's ice cold right now. And, and like you say, playing around with the, the lines hasn't helped the situation uh, at all. You, you do like to still see him playing with connecting. And I think the important thing is that, you know, his minutes haven't waned at all. Um, and with a guy like Couture, you never really have to worry about his usage dropping too much because you know he's so good in his own end um, and so good um, at and killing penalties in all situations, really, that um, he's always going to they're always going to find opportunities to play him, uh, even if the counting stats are lagging behind a little bit. So uh, I think you have to look at obviously what he's done um, in recent years uh, and obviously what he did to start this season and and know that, um, you know, the cold streak is exactly that. It's a cold streak and it, and it will pass. So um, even though it's tempting and I know like, you know, especially with him carrying the straight center eligibility, um, you know, it can be tempting to, to just drop him and, and move on after a streak like this. Um, but yeah, it's still a guy that I would, if I was, you know, if you're that frustrated with, I would at least um, try to sell for anything that you could. Cause I, I sure, surely, surely someone's still willing to take uh, a chance on Couture at this point. Cause it really is just one little cold streak, like I said, that he's been going through here. Um, so yeah, I like him to bounce back soon. Um, and I think it's someone you want to wait on if you have and a good player to target if you don't. Yeah, I uh, I agree completely. It's it's just been them changing things up um, with the lines. Really, has been what's done it. I don't really know why they even started tinkering. Things seem to be going well at the start. Connect me actually just moved up to that top line tonight. Uh, he had been dropped down, so it was Faraby, Katrie, James Van Riemsdyk. It wasn't really working. Faraby's gone ice cold. So. Um, as a whole, this team is pretty solid. I think that this whole team will kind of right the ship here eventually. Katrie. Um, one of the, you know, a lower on-ice shooting percentage than we're used to seeing out of Philadelphia. He's been up above in the double digits for the last about five years in a row, down to 9.7. So not terribly low, but uh, still something that could probably correct itself. And um, the power play is not working right now at all either, and that's really what's been hurting. Their power play has gone completely ice cold. And uh, once they figure that out, they've got enough talent out there, plenty of talent with Giroux, Yandel, uh, Provorov, Ellis, when he gets back healthy, Couturier, like there's enough there that power play's got to figure itself out eventually. So um, Sean Couturier is definitely not somebody I'm worried too worried about. Um, but you're right. I think, you know, maybe somebody that you could look at moving because if people are just looking at his, at his season as a whole, the numbers are actually pretty good. It's just, it's a six game stretch and that's going to happen, right? Yeah. 
Um, the next guy we're going to talk about is Brady Kachuk, um, somebody that we weren't completely in love with at the start of the season. Um, okay, let me rephrase it. Somebody that we absolutely love, uh, but just not where he gets drafted. It is uh, a continuous theme at the start of every season where this guy is going just absolutely way too early um, and, you know, hits leagues becoming the norm is a lot to do with that, but um, only nine points in his first 13 games of the season. Uh, 38 shots on goal in 13 games, 59 hits. You love to see that. Uh, but I, I think the one thing that needs to be stated here is that this team has just really kind of just been th- put through the grinder. I mean, they had a, a pretty lengthy battle with COVID-19 where they were playing with a bunch of guys not in the lineup. And then you get a week off, you come back, and you actually put up five goals against Colorado last night. So I, I think that this isn't so much Brady Kachuk off to a bit of a slow start as so much it is just the, the Senators um, went through a tough stretch with COVID, took a week off, and uh, I, I think at, at this point, really, you're so invested in, Sean, or, uh, in in Brady Kachuk because to get him, you had to take him super early. So you can't overreact to, to anything with him. You basically just have to ride it out because you took him so early. Yeah, yeah. Um... And you got it. And I mean, if you look at his numbers, he's actually been pretty productive at 5v5. Uh, nine points in 13 games this season, and all nine of those points coming at even strength. Doesn't have a power play point yet this year, which basically explains, um, you know, the Markov in terms of his ADP and, and where, is he, where he's at right now. That's basically where the whole underperformance has come from. And it's interesting because the Senators' power play has actually been one of, you know, a relative bright spot for them. Uh, they're clipping at around 20%. Uh, so for him not to have you know, a single power play point, uh, despite playing on that top unit all year, uh, something that you would obviously expect to change sooner than later. I, I, I believe he normally plays the net front. So that probably explains it a bit, obviously not touching the, the puck, puck quite all. as much. Yeah, exactly. He's not going to pick up those random secondary apples as someone who's playing on the, on the outside or in the bumper. But, um, yeah, nevertheless, uh, certainly something that you would expect to improve sooner than later. They've been creating, a. a a lot of chances at even strength. They're not, obviously they're still getting out, out possessed, out shot and the XG in terms of the uh, expected shared rate, they're still getting outperformed, but uh, it's high event hockey. I think they're around 30 scoring chances per 60 uh, him and Norris on the top line. Uh, I think Stutzel's there with them now. Uh, and they're they both- actually changed that up today, but yeah, it's, 13 or 14 high danger chances uh, as well for 60. So uh, they're creating a lot of offense, and I don't think that's going to change. You like to see the 5v5 production. Uh, and like I said, I don't know if we can bank on Ottawa's power play to continue to score at a 20% rate, uh, but I just, you certainly expect Kachuk to be, um, I guess, more involved in, in terms of the, the goal production standpoint uh, with demand advantage moving forward. The one thing, too, going to the power play and going to what I said about how they've been banged up, not having Drake Batherson is really going to hurt um, you've got, you know, when it's Norris, Kachuk and Batherson, they've been exceptional together. Right. So with Norris out of the, or Batherson out of the lineup, it really kind of hurts. You know, they, uh, they went to Zach Sanford, I think yesterday, guy actually had a hat trick, which is hilarious. The annual Zach Sanford hat trick. Yeah. Happened Didn't he once have, year. Or he had four goals last year. I think in a game, right? I think so. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, he's, that, that was his one for the year. And then, uh, and then Batherson, you know, He's expected to be out for a little bit, but it's not supposed to be an extended period of time. So once he gets back, um, you know, things should start looking up for Brady TK. So obviously not somebody you're completely panicking on just yet. And yeah, eventually those power play uh, numbers are going to start to hit. Yeah. Um, and the nice thing is, you know, if you're in a shots and or hits league, you know, he's going to help fill those categories in, in the meantime as well. Yes. 
Uh, as a whole on the season, the uh, numbers are not very good for Mark Shifley. Um, bit of a cold stretch, just kind of when he was in and out of the lineup there for a little bit. Uh, he has picked up four points in his last five games, two goals, two assists. But again, uh, you know, you look at all the production that the Jets are getting from somebody like Pierre-Luc Dubois, somebody like Kyle Connor, who's just absolutely ripping it up. Uh, it's a little disappointing to see Mark Shifley sitting with seven points, just two goals in 12 games. It's uh, it's uh, it, it just doesn't really make a lot of sense because I feel like I've never seen the Jets play as well as they have been lately. Uh, the one thing, though, that has kind of shifted for the Jets this season is they seem to just be a better defensive team. So maybe some lower scoring games as opposed to those just crazy shootouts that we always seem to see with Winnipeg. But um, even with them improving defensively, they are sixth best in the NHL in terms of expected goal rate. So, um, you know, you would, you would you would anticipate this team to continue to fill the net but when you watch what Dubois has done and you watch what Connor's done, even Nick Ehlers to a certain extent, it is just a little disappointing to see the lack of production from Mark Shifley. For sure. And I, I think, you know, obviously the shooting percentage is, it's a pretty simple one here, but it goes a long way towards explaining it just at 8% so far this year, a uh, career mark of 15%. So about half of where he would normally be at this point. And I think if he has those couple of extra goals and we're probably not talking about him in this segment, um, certainly a guy that you can bet on turning it around and continuing this, you know, the run of form that he's found lately. Um, because yeah, he's been literally, you know, there hasn't been saved from the best of the best, you know, top five players in the league. There hasn't been a more reliable point per game player going on the last four or five seasons now than Mark Shifley. It's like clockwork, him coming in at the end of the season with a point or two more, uh, than games played. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, certainly you look at everything else, um, still creating a lot of chances with Ehlers and Cop at 5v5. They're about 33 scoring chances per 60, um, still possessing their opponents at even strength. So yes, they're, you know, might be playing a slightly more conservative style of hockey, but in terms of Shifley's line at, at 5v5, the scoring chances look like they're as present as they've ever been. So, uh, I certainly feel a lot better about Shifley turning around and getting back to his point per game pace before too long uh, than his teammate here that we're going to be talking about in a sec here, longtime friend of the show. Yeah, Blake Wheeler is the next guy we're going to talk about. But just quickly to go back to Shifley, the one thing that is maybe a little bit concerning, uh, shot volume is a little bit lower than we're used to seeing. He's never been a guy that shoots, you know, he's never been over 200 shots in a season, so he's not a guy that's uh, relies on a uh, high shot volume to, to score goals. As you mentioned, 15.9% on his career. But the volume is down uh, a little bit this year, just over two shots per game. But I think the one thing, too, that you can't really understate is the effect that COVID-19 can have on certain people, players, anybody, really. Um, and they mentioned it in the broadcast yesterday that Shifley said that it took a lot out of him. It, it kicked his ass. And uh, maybe a little bit of just a sluggish start to the season because of that and you know obviously we kind of just like see these guys test positive or whatever go on the protocol list and you just think nothing of it you're like oh he'll come back and be fine but i mean some yeah. cases obviously more serious than others and they talked about it yesterday on on the broadcast that it, it, it kicked his ass but uh blake wheeler your boy yeah well I, and again just not i mean you're trying to throw in a jab at shifley as we're trying to move on here i'm going to back him up a little bit I think, you know, there's some small sample size to be thrown in there with his shot volume. If you look at total shot attempts, uh, he's averaging 3.9 a game, which is actually higher than what he had a season ago and right in line with what we've seen from him in recent years. So I think there's a bit of a small sample size in there. Maybe the COVID has something to do with the erratic shooting, shooting percentage down. He's missing the net more. 
Um, but yeah, I, I mean, can't I wouldn't hit, worry. Hit the net because of COVID. Yeah, that but I mean, there was a side there was a few guys we talked about at the start of the year whose shot volume looked low, but the shot attempts was right in line yeah. with what we're used who to seeing. Who was it? Somebody was like missing the net on like every single shot. I think no, it was, it was no, it was Andrew Mangiapane who literally just didn't miss the net. Yeah, but to, uh, just Andrew Mangiapane. I yeah. had to mention his name. So I just wanted to say that uh, you know that the shot volume seems like it's more of an anomaly than anything else, and probably has to do with the low sample size. Because yeah, I wouldn't expect Mark Shifley to continue missing the net on half of his shots. No, I Blake not, Wheeler. I would not. Yeah, it's Blake Wheeler. No goals. Uh, twenty-eight shots on net. No goals in thirteen games. This season does have five assists, but you, I mean, another guy that missed time with COVID. Yeah. So I don't know if you want to throw everything at COVID in this in this uh, these couple jet slow starters, but he's a guy that's playing with Connor and Dubois, who are just ripping it up. Top power play unit. The production has been there from seemingly everybody else on the team except for his guy. Uh, obviously, getting up there in age, shooting 0%, probably not something that's going to continue, um, is a 10.7% shooter, but a bit concerning. Um, the one thing that is definitely a positive is we talked about this at the start of the season when talking about Blake Wheeler was saw a pretty big dip in ice time last year. Um, you know, a minute less, but going from 19, 20 minutes to 18 is a huge difference. Um, this year back up over 19 and a half minutes per night. So, uh, whatever, you know, we thought maybe he could continue to see a decrease in ice time at the age of 35. Doesn't seem to be a concern anymore. Um, 19 and a half minutes a night. So, Obviously not going to shoot zero percent, but it is just bizarre to think that this guy is is you know playing with two of the hottest Jets and just really nothing going his way. Obviously he's moved around this lineup as evidenced by his five point six percent on ice shooting percentage. So yeah, I, I think this is an easy one for people to kind of jump to conclusions and and maybe rush to to dump him off on the wire. Uh, but I still think that he's going to offer a lot of fantasy value this season. Uh, it. You know, it gets a little bit harder to kind of wane when you're looking at the underlying numbers into, um, I guess, what's kind of you can write off as a bit of a cold streak and what you kind of have to read into a little bit uh, more with, you know, obviously given the fact that he's 35 years old now. Um, But I think if you just look at, you know, some of our most reliable and trusted and and famous indicators, as you said, he's shooting 0% uh, and he has an on-ice shooting percentage of 5.6%, which is about half of his career rate. Um, So you could literally probably uh, in a normal year, you could double the even strength production that he's had to that point or to this point. And he'd be around 10 points in 13 games while still shooting, obviously 0% in his own. So, uh, and then you also throw in the fact that like Shifley, he's missing the net with an abnormally large amount of his shot attempts. I think there's uh, a lot of positive regression coming this way. No, I don't think he's a 90 point player anymore, but I do still think he can get back to close to where he was last season where he had 15 uh, goals and 31 assists in 50 games this year. Obviously, his end of the year point total going to be thrown off a bit by the slow start but in terms of what you can expect here on out I think he can get pretty close to a point per game from here on out just in terms of the fact like I said everything underlying numbers they couldn't have gotten much worse just in terms of uh, if we're looking at puck luck should should see some more breaks there uh, and like you said the usage and the role um, hasn't changed if anything it's improved this year so you know the minutes are going to be there you know the opportunity is going to be there uh, and the puck luck should improve drastically yeah, and again, just to to go back to Connor and Dubois, I mean, if those are your line mates or you move up to that top line with Shifley and Ehlers, like, you're going to be fine. He's in good hands no matter what. Both those lines, as we mentioned, produce plenty offensively, well over 30 scoring chances for 
uh, per 60 for both of those lines. Sidney Crosby's next. Obviously another guy that has missed time due to injury this season, but not very productive in his first six games. One goal, one assist, two points in his first six games back. Um, playing 18 minutes a night. They kind of eased him back into the lineup, I think could explain maybe a bit of a slow start. But the last couple games uh, have been much better up closer to 19 minutes per night, especially last night, played 1940 against the Jets. But, you know, we see uh, plenty of production out of Jay Gensel lately, and Sidney Crosby just doesn't seem to be factoring in on those goals. I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on Sidney Crosby. Um, you know, just getting back from a pretty significant injury, I don't think we need to to dive into this one too much. 7% on ice shooting percentage, 7% personal um, shooting percentage. Both would be by far the worst rates that he'd ever put up over a full season. So yeah, it's Sidney Crosby. I mean, obviously, like you said, uh, off to a really slow start relative to his uh, normal standards. But yeah, I, I don't think you can understate the the fact that you know he's coming back from an injury. They're clearly waning him back into his full role. He didn't hop right back into 20 minutes a night. Um, and there's still a lot of moving parts to this team. But at the end of the day, like you say, it's Sidney Crosby. You have to be patient with them. Uh, but yeah, in terms of like a, a trade target, I don't think there's a better time to try to put together an offer for Sidney Crosby. I, I can't imagine his value being any lower at any point this season, unless he gets hurt. But Yeah, you've also have them ranking 32nd in the NHL in power play percentage at 11.1. Obviously, no Sidney Crosby for the start of the season. No Evgeny Malkin. You got guys like Evan Rodriguez playing above their head. That's going to happen. So that's a power play that's going to get going. It's going to start clicking uh, with Crosby back in the lineup. And yeah, I think that the one thing you can say about him is that his owners are probably growing pretty impatient, right? You, you waited all this time to get him back, and then he finally returns to the lineup and really doesn't do a whole lot. And right. you're like, what the fuck, Sid? Come on. So yeah, I think it's a, it's a really good buy low uh, opportunity here with Sidney Crosby. So um, th- moving on, Elias Patterson and Brock Besser. Uh, I'm not going to talk too much about him. I, you talked about him a bunch uh, last week, so I'll let you take the reins here on both those guys again. Yeah, it's just the status quo. Nothing's really changed. Um, like we said, the underlying numbers still suggest there's uh, much better days ahead here. Uh, and yeah, it's just obviously it's unfortunate that it's not turning around as quickly as we'd hope. Um, but everything points to, like I said, a bounce back coming here soon for the both of them. Um, obviously Pedersen, you expect a, a little bit more of in terms of a ceiling than Besser, but yeah, I think they're both going to end up being very valuable fantasy assets again before too long. Uh, and I definitely stick by what I said last week and that it's a, it's a great time to buy low on them. It just seems to be trending more and more in the direction of, of Travis Green being let go. And, and there's going to be some new blood. Uh, pumped into Vancouver before too long. It just seems to be kind of inevitable at this point. So uh, I think that only you know good things can probably come of that. We've been pretty skeptical um, of Travis Green and the way he he runs that roster in the past, and uh, not much has changed this year. So uh, I, I do think that just pumping some new blood into Vancouver will go a long way to helping both of these guys out. Uh, Matt Barzell. Obviously, the Islanders opened the season on an unprecedented 13, I believe, 13 or 14 game road trip as their new building was completed. Um, Now they've run into a big time COVID outbreak. But the Islanders, uh, this is one team that I've been highly skeptical of for a couple of years now. Everybody seems to think that they are just like God's gift to hockey and the greatest team of all time. Uh, uh, There was lots of power rankings this preseason. 
that suggested that they were a top five, if not top three team in the entire NHL. Um, it's absolutely insanity to me, but we will save that conversation for another day. Barzell has gone pointless in his last three games on the season as a whole, eight points, four goals, four assists in 15 games. Um, the one thing I guess that's going to probably help Matt Barzell maybe in the next couple weeks is the ice time should take a big jump because Brock Nelson is out two to four weeks. So maybe that'll help him. Yeah. Something's got to. He should be playing more than he is. I think that's fair to say. He's playing just 17 and a half minutes a night down from 1844 last season and, and 20 minutes a night the season before. Um, so obviously that's going to have a, a, you know, an effect on his production um, just in terms of the total volume. But um, you know, you look at some, there's some other, like we said, the classic telltale indicator, he's got a 6.3 on ice shooting percentage. Um, so you expect some regression there. The problem is like, I don't know how much better the quality of line mates is going to get for him. Um, not like it's ever been fantastic for him while he's been in long Island, but you know, he did have a nice little rapport, um, with Eberle for a few years, you know, when he was playing with Beauvillier, they, they had some nice numbers for a while just in terms of creating scoring chances. But, I mean, they got to play in. I know you said they're dealing with a COVID outbreak right now, but Richard Panic and Zach Parise right now. Yeah. And him and Parise in particular have been really struggling at 5v5. They've only played about three or four games together, but it's been like to the clip of a 35% uh, scoring chances, 4% and a 33% expected goals, 4%. So they're just getting caved in at 5v5. Um, and unfortunately, you know, I, I don't think you're going to have – a ton of power play production to fall back on either. They're just at 12.2% for the year. Uh, and when you look at the makeup of that, you know, in terms of no what Ryan Pulak for a little while. Yeah. And just aside from that, it doesn't seem like they have a lot of great options on there, obviously aside from uh, Barzal himself. So uh, yeah, I think obviously it's going to, maybe not obviously, but I do think it's going to get better than it has been. You know, he's only got eight points in 15 games, um, but this does kind of feel like it's adding up to be another one of those down years um, for Barzell, maybe similar to the sophomore slump we had, we saw him have. And then even last year wasn't spectacular, right? Had just 45 points in 55 games. And I honestly, like I said, I think it's more uh, of a factor and a, you know, result of um, the team and the, the situation maybe degrading a little bit around him. Um, and I don't anticipate that getting any better. So there is some positive regression coming here, but I wouldn't expect to see um, the 85-point rookie version of Matt Barzell or even a couple of years ago when he had 60 points in 68 games. Um, I think it's going to be more of a more of a grind for him this season. A bit off topic, but do you think that Matt Barzell makes Team Canada? I don't see how he can with uh, the year that I think he's going to have, unfortunately. And, you know, wrongly or rightly, like I, cause like I said, I think that's more than anything else, just a product of the team maybe taking a step back this season. Um, certainly they're, they're top nine, um, especially. But, um, yeah, I don't, like I said, it's hard to imagine his counting numbers getting that much better. Um, and he'd have a lot of guys to, to leapfrog to get there. Yeah, so I see a lot of people projecting him on this team, and he just does not seem like he's in that tier. Good player. I but... haven't done a full projection in a minute, so I don't really know how he would kind of slot in compared to the other, I guess, top 15 to 20 forwards that he'd be in contention with. Obviously, I doubt I, he couldn't make it as a center, right? If he's, no, if he's on there, he's playing the wing. To me, it's just like you Which have... Which I, like, I feel like you don't just want to take these guys who have only played the wing like a handful of times in their NHL like, career, you know, right? Like, yes, it's way more simple to play than the than center. It's way more straightforward. There's less responsibilities. But yeah, I feel like 
you know, if that should at least be a tiebreaker, right? If it's Barzal and a guy who actually plays on the wing, like I'll take the guy who plays on the wing. Yeah, and to me, it seems like he's always on the bubble with guys like Couturier and like Ryan O'Reilly and stuff. And I'm just like, if you put Ryan O'Reilly, yeah. Sean Couturier, and Mark Stone together, no one on earth is going to score against those three on the yeah. same line. So like, uh, it, when if it comes down to like him just knowing the way guys, Hockey Canada thinks, like I can't imagine O'Reilly and Couturier for sure being on the team, and then obviously Mark Stone, I think, is just one of the best. Yeah, he's terrific but, players right, in the world. But a bit of a sidebar there, but yeah, I just always kind of think that my Barzell is maybe a little bit overrated. Um, and he just seems like, like he has the, the skill set that they would overlook at the bottom of the roster. Right? Yeah. Like, I think they're going to look at those guys who can play more in two-way situations and kill penalties for them, like a Couturier or an O'Reilly. Um, speaking of Ryan O'Reilly, he's next on this list. Um, just quickly before we wrap up Barzell, I think that the loss of Eberly is so underrated yeah. and unta- like not talked about nearly enough. And like you can see that obviously in his production in Seattle so far. I mean, really, really good numbers there on a team that's not producing a ton of offense. It's, it was Anders Lee, Barzell, and Eberly for so long, and now it's it's kind of Barzell by himself, especially right now with Ever- with Leo and yeah. no Eberly. Yeah, and I mean, aside from his rookie year there, Barzell's rookie year there when Tavares was still there, uh, Barzell has been the only really like top end talent that's been driving the production in the top six. The nice thing has been, you've always had uh, an assortment of complimentary wingers to kind of play with him that, that fit well with him, particularly a guy like Everly's skill set meshes really well. And it's always been a kind of strength in numbers, strength by depth uh, sort of approach. And, you know, we talked about, you know, for years, how just solid that top nine was, and they could seemingly move those top three lines kind of in and out, at least the wingers anyway, um, in, in and out of the top six to play with Barzal. Uh, and Brock Nelson, and then you obviously always had that Clutterbuck Martin Sezikis line, the identity line, as you call it. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, that, uh, that's just obviously totally gone by the wayside now, and then it's just further exasperated by, like you say, Lee being out and, and everything else they're going through. But yeah, they're going to need to find someone else to play alongside Barzell on the top line in the interim because Parise at this point just isn't it. We were just comparing... Matt Barzell and Ryan O'Reilly for Team Canada. But Ryan O'Reilly, another guy that seems to be struggling a little bit. Nine points in 14 games. uh, Is shooting 10.3% right around his career rate. On a shooting percentage at 11.3 is very good. So, uh, you know, I guess a bit of a rare case in what we've been talking about so far. Somebody who can immediately be expected to bounce back just solely based on his underlying numbers. Uh, again, though, this is a bit of kind of what we saw to Couturier, a really kind of quiet stretch there for five, six games. Uh, has been, you know, better lately. A point per game in his last four. One goal, three assists in his last four. So, uh, seems to be turning a quarter a little bit. Uh, the one thing that I really like, maybe not so much just about Ryan O'Reilly, but just I think that that's a pretty damn good team. In, in St. Louis. And I think that they're going to continue to be pretty good throughout the season. Uh, I think the one question mark for them is going to continue to be goaltending. Jordan Bennington struggled a little bit. Uh, Vili Huso has been sensational when he started, but uh, it's only been like two games. I think he's got two shutouts. Um, but yeah, I, I think that team is really, really good. I think the one thing that I like about Ryan O'Reilly more this year than ever before is that Last year, it was Ryan O'Reilly, David Perron exclusively. And then the left wing was just a rotation of fourth-line players for the most part. I mean, you got the Hattrick, man, Zach, Sanford on, on you know most of the season. But it was just kind of – it was not a whole lot of quality where this year that is not the case at all. It's either going to be Jordan Cairo, who's great. 
it's going to be Brandon Saad, who's great, or it's going to be Pavel Buchnevich, who's great on that left side. So it doesn't really matter who they plug into that spot. They're going to just continue to produce. And I really like the makeup of this team, and I do think that Ryan O'Reilly is in for a pretty good year. With that said, without getting too long-winded, Ryan O'Reilly never really been a guy that I've ever targeted in fantasy hockey. Uh, the numbers at times have been obviously pretty good. He's had some really, really good years. Um, I just, I've never really bought a lot of stock in this guy. He's not typically a guy that's going to go over a point per game. Um, in fact, it's never happened in his career. So, this is kind of what I expect out of Ryan O'Reilly to a certain extent. Yeah, obviously, you know, he had that big year, his first year in St. Louis, uh, and then where he had finished the year with 77 points, and then last year with 54 points in 56 games. Uh, you know, probably just production-wise, those have been really his two best years to date. Uh, but I, I do kind of think this is just going to be a return to kind of almost like a return, like I said, to normalcy here for O'Reilly this season. Um, you look at last season in particular, he shot 18%. We knew that wasn't going to happen again. Uh, and his on-ice shooting percentage was above uh, 13 and a half. We knew that was going to be really difficult to replicate. So, um, yeah, I just think, you know, like you said, the underlying numbers, it doesn't look like, you know, th- we should certainly expect all of a sudden that, you know, this um, – outpouring of production but nine points in 14 games maybe it's a point or two less than where he maybe should be at this point but yeah I think he's gonna kind of resort back into that 20 assist 40 point guy um probably bottom of your roster production in terms of fantasy because he's usually carrying that center uh eligibility and he doesn't um obviously offer you a lot in terms of goal production but the assister I think always going to be there still a phenomenal player at 5v5 and uh I still think he's like incredibly underrated just in terms of like his ability as an actual hockey player um so good but yeah again this is like I said this is kind of what I would have expected to this point from O'Reilly um I just think a lot of people um before the season, we're maybe expecting him to be a little bit closer to what he did uh, last year. Certainly, we weren't on that train. And yeah, I don't think we're particularly surprised by this start. Nor are we, like we said, that down on him moving forward. I, he just kind of is what he is from a fantasy perspective. And I, I wouldn't expect him to kind of be that uh, the flash in the pan, point per game, uh, score every other game guy that he was last year. We've been pretty positive about most of these guys thus far. Um not going to really be the case here. Uh, Andre Pilat, he's been actually probably better than I even anticipated. Four goals, seven assists, 11 points in 17 games. But he was going much earlier than anybody really, um, well, anybody on this show really would ever even consider him. Uh, he was one of my busts coming into the season uh, because I mentioned time and again that his power or his production last year was largely fueled by what he was able to accomplish on the power play. And that was not going to be his role this year because you got no Nikita Kucherov was back. You had Braden Point. Now you have no Braden Point, no Nikita Kucherov. Plot is actually on that top power play unit, but it's not a unit that is doing much of anything right now. So uh, I think his 5v5 production is going to be fine. He's still with Steven Stamkos, but to me, uh, if you could move this guy right now for next to anything, I, I would be doing it. I just, I'm not in love with Andre Pilat, uh from a fantasy perspective. That power play unit has struggled without Kucherov. It's going to struggle even more without Braden Point. Um, so yeah, Pilat's just not a guy that I had any interest really in coming into the season. Decent numbers thus far, not great. If you can move him for anything, I think that 
you'd be wise to. Yeah, well, the joke, I mean, that we kept going back to last season was, you know, we're always looking for a reason to drop him, and the underlying numbers just never caught up to him. He never gave us a reason to do it. But that was still my stance with him at the end, at, going into this season, right? He should be a guy that you pick at the end of the draft, which wasn't going to happen. So I wasn't Way touching him in any leagues because, yeah, you weren't going to be able to get him at the end of the draft where you should. Um, and I would have been looking for a reason to drop him from basically the onset, right? But uh, I do think, you know, right now with Point being out too, it's not the time to drop him. Like, I think if he was on the wire, we'd be talking about him as a great pickup because of all this, you know, he's going to continue to see all these minutes on the top line with Stamkos. They're going to have to lean on that line even more. And obviously he's going to get the power play time as well. So just from an opportunity standpoint, no, obviously he shouldn't be dropped at this point. But I think in, you know, a few weeks, maybe months time as when this team gets healthy, uh, certainly I wouldn't hesitate to drop him once the numbers tally off and um, he falls back down the lineup. So, uh, yeah, in the meantime, if you can get anything for him, especially if he gets on any sort of a heater these next few weeks when Point and Kucherov are, are both out probably for at least the next month or so, right? Yeah, um, four to six weeks for Braden Point. Uh, Nikita Kucherov not anticipating seeing him until after Christmas. Yeah, so I'm probably hanging on to Palat until that point. Obviously, if he goes ice cold for whatever reason, despite getting all these minutes in power play time, I don't think that's going to happen. But if it does, then sure, drop him because, um, you know, he's not going to be worth hanging on to for the long-term investment. But yeah, I think in the interim, he's still going to be a guy you want worth having on your roster. Uh, but again, to your point, certainly someone that's worth looking um, looking to maybe try and move in a trade, even though, you know, his value is a lot lower than it was at the start of the season. Um, I, I still don't think that the long-term value is going to be there this year. Maybe wait a few weeks, see if, like I said, see if he gets hot and then really look to move him because I don't think he's going to have a ton of value after the new year. Yeah, and I'm not saying drop him by any stretch either. It's just if you can move him, I think it's going to be, you know, it's a decent time. I think maybe if you're looking at the guy who owns Stamkos in your league, maybe he's looking to, to get that connection going. Uh, might be somebody to just kind of just get rid of just because, like you said, I think in a month's time you're you're going to be dropping him. Yeah, for sure. Alexander Radulov, Uh we obviously did pretty decent on our bust segments because he was also featured. Heavily featured. One goal, six assists, seven points, a minus seven rating in 16 games this season. The ice time is still pretty solid, seven min- 17.34. Uh, has been relegated to the fourth line uh, recently, skating with Radic Faxa. And Jacob Peterson, you hate to see it. Uh, That'll but, get him out of the slump, eh? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, the one thing, though, like, obviously every team is a little bit different, right? You can't just look at the Dallas Stars fourth line and be like, yeah, he's playing eight minutes a night. This is a team that rolls all four lines. He's still seeing plenty of usage um, while playing towards the bottom of the lineup. It uh, is the down. other night, he played 12:41, which obviously is not a great sign. 15 minutes, 14 minutes in his last three games. So the, the minutes are down, but it's not like if you played with Riley Nash in Winnipeg and you're playing seven minutes a night. It's not quite as bad as it might sound, but it's not going to improve. It's like to me, he's not even worth rostering at this point in time. I, I would be dropping him and I would, you know, still monitor what he's doing and where he is in the lineup. But um, this is not really a guy that's going to take a fourth line's emotion well and kind of flourish and bring his game to a new level. Yeah. Uh, it just doesn't seem like that mentality. So yeah. I'm only holding on to him in the deepest of leagues. Yes. Or, you know, maybe if you have like 10 bench spots. Um, as he just shows up on the screen. He's got 13 blocks, Brock, according to the Sportsnet Well, he's broadcast. a fourth-line player now. <laughs> yeah, it's true. That's the kind of stats right we're looking for. before you looked up, he was also on the bench, and it looked like he was swearing at the coach. So, that sounds or about yelling, right. at least. That sounds about right. But, 
yeah, you know, obviously I, I'm on board with you. I think if you could get anything for him at all, it's, you know, worth seeing. If, if you, you trade possibly. him to the Radic Facts owner in your league. Yeah. Get that get that stack going. He was actually born in the USSR, so there's not going to be a lot of those left before too long. He Obviously, it's Russia, but it was, he it was obviously, still the USSR. He, he had point. 34 points in, in 60 games two years ago, and then he went crazy for a little bit last year before getting hurt. But Well, he, that, that's what he, I mean. He, last year's kind of fallen off. Yeah, his little hot streak that he had in his short stint last year um, really kind of threw value. people off the scent of the stinker that he had in 2019-20 and kind of just pointed to all, all – all signs of declination. And yeah, I don't, I don't expect it to, like you say, get a lot better. Obviously it's still a name that carries a little bit of weight, which is why, like you said, if he was on the waiver wire, you'd be keeping an eye on him. And and that's why I think it's also at least worth throwing out to see if you can get some bottom of the barrel roster scrapers from anyone else for him. Um, But yeah, otherwise I wouldn't keep rolling him out there um, every single night and dedicating the roster spot just for the sake of it. Um, But yeah, obviously like you say, it's one you're going to want to monitor because if he does, somehow find his way back up the lineup and he's playing on the top line of power play unit. Again, he's going to be a guy that you want to own, but um, at this point doesn't look to be getting any better. And I think even if he does kind of get back to that ideal scenario, we're still going to be looking at the bottom of the roster guys. So you don't have to feel too too bad about it. What even is the ideal scenario? Because that top line is not getting broken up. It's going to be Robertson. It's going to be Pavelski. It's going to be, it's probably with Sagan and and Ben. And then you hope that they just click and figure (laughs) out one of the three of them. Sagan should maybe be featured on this segment right now too. Like he's done nothing. Yeah. And he's been like the third line seemingly all season. Yeah. It's just, I don't know what, I don't know. Like, I think it's basically just fire the coach there and, restart like that first line is is incredible it's the only line doing anything for them like even from an underlying numbers perspective like they're incredible their underlying numbers the rest of the team's not great ben and Giryanov have been hot lately i'll give them that but the rest like segan and radulov really have not done much nope segan's still shooting the puck a ton which you love which to is see great. from a personal standpoint but yeah i mean on the whole i i don't know if they expected that line to pick up right where it left off three years ago but I mean, that was pretty foolish. You know, obviously they've all gotten a lot older. Ben and Radulov in particular, well, they've all gotten the same amount of years older, but <laughs> those guys in particular, Ben and Radulov are a little bit further up there in, in years. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously Dal- the former Dallas one best days are, are, are well behind them. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's not a, there's not a whole lot. It's hard to imagine them. Um, any of those three guys getting anywhere close, um, to their previous heights, but I guess Sagan would be the the one you feel the best betting on because his underlying individual numbers at least look half decent. Yes. Um, all right. Last forward we're going to talk about. We'll talk. We got a couple goalies and defensemen to get to uh, next, but this is a, a bit of a surprising case. Uh, we were obviously high on this guy. Um, I think we were a little bit more reserved than some of the other pundits out there, but we still definitely expected some bigger things from. Sam Reinhart this offseason. He, you know, wasn't a guy that was in our top 50, like some places, but, um, yeah, he was comfortably in the top hundred. Yes, absolutely. 11 points in 18 games. Isn't terrible. Um, the three goals in 18 games is terrible. <laughs> uh, he is shooting just 8.6%. So there is room for this to bounce back. The biggest concern is just been his role very often on the third line. He's averaging 16, 22 time on ice uh, per game this season which is significantly down from the 1932 or even the 2038 he played in his last two years in Buffalo. Again, obviously, significant talent uh, deficiency in, in Buffalo those two seasons you know, led to an increasing role. But a lot of the reasons that Sam Reinhart was featured in 
top 50s or top 100s consistently throughout the preseason was because of the possibility of him playing with Alexander Barkov for the entirety of the season. We saw how effective Anthony Duclair, Carter Hagee were in that role, and it just seemed like that was going to be what unlocked Sam Reinhart. And it hasn't happened. He hasn't played much with Barkov. He is in the top line now because they don't have Barkov anymore. Bennett, Ducle- or Bennett, Reinhardt, Huberdeau. You have is Bennett declare Huberdeau. Oh, yes. He's not even on the top line anymore. Who's he, who, is he with Lundell then? And Verheke. Yes. Lundell and Verheke. So I mean, obviously, we were expecting him to play with Barkov or worst case, play with Huberdeau on the second line. Ideally, be centering the second line if he's not playing right wing on the first line, which none of those has happened. When he hasn't played with Huberdeau, he's playing on the right wing and Huberdeau has been on the left wing. And then, of course, with Barkov out now, Huberdeau has moved up to the top line and for some reason, Reinhardt hasn't moved with him. So, yeah, I mean, we didn't think it made a lot of sense to keep Sam Bennett down the middle and Reinhardt on the wing. But that's exactly what they've done. It's worked out, you know, relatively well to them, to be fair. I really they've thought they'd move Reinhardt back to the middle with Barkov out. Like, why would you not take advantage of that versatility for a guy that's been so effective playing down the middle on a really bad team in the past? I guess I guess the one, the one thing to kind of say there is Anton Liddell has been really, really effective as a rookie, which has at least afforded yeah, and them. And they're getting the, good minutes out of Joe, too. And, and Joe, I mean, now that he's back, he's been playing solid, so. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I guess you understand where they're coming from. Still, like, it just feels like he'd be a better center than Sam Bennett. Sam Bennett's been great, though. So, I mean, how much can I really say when it comes to that? But, yeah, it's just hard to imagine the situation improving. At the same time, I think his numbers are respectable when you consider, like we said, everything in terms of the lineup configuration just hasn't broken his way. Um, I think you can get away with that at the bottom of your lineup for a, f- a few weeks still while you wait to see if that role improves at all but we got to see that improvement because he's just not going to be able to really give you a great fantasy return if he's bumping between the second and third line right wing spot yeah to me i almost think that he is a buy low candidate because people would have had to invest heavy draft stock in him that you can probably now get him at a re- for yeah. a point. I'd be wary of giving too much though, because if this goes on no, for a no, few more no. weeks, he, he could end up on the wire. No, hundred percent. That, that's what I was gonna say. You can de- you could probably get him for somebody that you got significantly later that you could probably project for similar numbers moving forward if he stays in this current role. Uh, but if he if he doesn't uh, if he doesn't move up that lineup, I mean, I just don't really see a lot of hope here. I just, yeah. I don't, I don't, I, I do think he's a reasonable option. If like, if he gets that top line, like we expected, obviously we are going to expect the very same things that we expected in the preseason, but there just has not been a whole lot to this point to suggest that that's going to happen. And it even, we've even seen a coaching change and it hasn't happened. So yeah. uh, I guess we will see. But to me right now, it's definitely somebody that has been uh, quite disappointing through the first month. But until he disappoints us getting the minutes that we expect him or want him to get, then I'm still going to hold out a little bit of hope. Yeah, I I agree completely and uh, and wholeheartedly with that sentiment. Um, All right, Tyson Berry. Is, is next on the list as we transfer, transition into the defenseman here. Um, again, somebody with pretty reasonable numbers, but a guy that has been on the top power play for the entirety of this season and really has not done a ton. Uh, when you factor in that Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl together are on pace for 280 points combined. <laughs> and uh, 
the power play is clicking at about 70%, I think. Is that, was that where it was last time we checked? At 90, under, I think, yeah. 90, yeah. <laughs> I think it's just under 40 now. I think they just team. award the team a goal whenever they, the Edmonton's opponent takes a penalty now. They Pretty just, much, Just yeah. to save time. Yeah, they're just like, moving on. To Rob Manford. one yeah. nothing. Um, he has three goals, nine points in 17 games. Uh, the biggest concern for Tyson Berry has been the fact that Evan Bouchard has really taken a step forward and... Tyson Berry's minutes at 5v5 have declined drastically. Yeah. Uh, he played 21-24 last year. He's playing 18-51 this year. Darnell Nurse getting injured. Seemingly, you'd think, okay, this is now an opportunity for Tyson Berry to play a bigger role at 5v5. Has not really been the case. Played 17-26 uh, the other night. Uh, he's on the third pairing with Chris Russell currently. So it doesn't look like no matter what happens on this on this team that Tyson Berry is going to be playing a very large role at 5v5. With that said, he also doesn't seem to be in any real danger of losing this role in the top power play unit. So Nor should he, obviously. Yeah, he shouldn't. And it's just, to me, I think that you can't do anything but just preach patience with Tyson Berry because the potential really is kind of unlimited with him. Yeah. Uh, you, you like you realistically outside of playing more minutes at five V five with Connor and Leon, you couldn't ask for a better spot. No. And it's, you know, I, I think we can comfortably say, you know, bar from an injury, like opportunity wise, it's not going to get any worse. Cause with how well that, that power play has been 39.6%. Uh, if you're curious is the updated number. Uh, a clean 9.6? Yeah, a clean 11% clear <laughs> of the next closest team. but Not bad. Um, but, yeah, like I said, he, I don't anticipate really him ever losing the spot on that top unit. Like, it's just he's been so good there, and the unit's been so good the whole time he's been uh, in Edmonton. So, yeah, I just think he's an absolute lock to be there the rest of the year. Like, why would you break up a unit that's clipping at 40%? And the 5v5 time can only get better. As you say, it's pretty minuscule right now. He's playing on the third pair. And the good news is that even if he wasn't playing any 5v5 time at all and was only playing on the top power play unit, he'd still be worth owning. I do think we kind of got to brace ourselves here and, and you know really lower our expectations because he might not see more 5v5 time. Uh, but still, like nine points in 17 games, it's still worth rostering as a defenseman. Uh, I still think he can get to 45, 50 points playing a very minor role at 5v5 if he's on that top power play unit because he's very effective at the role in himself and uh, the line mates obviously could not get any better at all. So, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, this is kind of the worst case scenario. I'm not convinced it's going to get better, but I think he's worth owning even in this uh, worst case scenario of a world. You just really got to lower your expectations and, and realize he might not be the number one fantasy defenseman that you were hoping for at the start of the year. Yeah, and that, that was the one thing, too, is like even with where he we knew he was going to be playing on the top power play unit, we knew this power play unit was going to be exceptional. His draft status or draft stock, I guess you could say, wasn't really all that high. He was a low-end defenseman defenseman one, high-end number two, where he was being drafted, about the 10th defenseman off the board. So there's a pretty good chance that most teams with Tyson Berry also have a very reliable defenseman to fall back on. Uh, you know, maybe it's a it's a, a Zach Rowenski or, or somebody of, of, of that nature, um, that really he's not crushing a team because he's not one of those guys like um, a Kale McCarr that you had to take in the top couple rounds of the draft, right? He's not, he wasn't somebody that was going to just completely cripple your roster. His ADP was around the sixth round. So you're getting pretty good production out of him thus far. And I think that there is obviously still some room for him to 
to even um, improve on what he's done thus far. Really um, quite surprising that they are at 39% or above, and he only has two power play assists. Yeah. So definitely some room to grow here. Jacob Chikrin, uh, somebody that you probably drafted close to a number one defenseman and are very, very upset with. Obviously, uh, the one thing about Jacob Chikrin is that many people anticipated him uh, as Alexander Radulov just scores a goal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anticipated him to struggle a little bit this season just because Arizona was going to be so bad. Um, so he wasn't drafted until the eighth round. He was about uh, a low-end defenseman two, high-end defenseman three off the board, um, which if you got him in that spot, obviously pretty uh, reasonable. But it has been a bit of a struggle for him thus far. Two goals, three assists, five points. They played 19 games already. 19 painful games in Arizona. Um, speaking of pain, this man right now is a minus 21, which is just ridiculous. But for all of the struggles... More dashes than games. Yes. For all of the struggles, a lot of that came early in the season. His first 11 games, he went pointless and was a minus 18. Things have started to turn for the better in Arizona. They've won, I think, three, or they had won three in a row. They do have a date with Edmonton tomorrow night, which is going to be just a bloodbath. But in his last eight games, two goals, three assists, five points, only a minus three. Only a minus three. Yeah, 29 shots on goal in eight games over that stretch, which you're getting back to what you saw from Jacob Chikrin last season. So uh, to me, not somebody I'm panicking on, to be sure. Uh, I... He was dropped in one of my leagues. I could not have picked this motherfucker up faster because he's still an elite producer from the back end. Yeah, and I, we talked about it before the show, right? And it's just, you know, obviously he's been really disappointed so far. And the plus minus, you know, it's been better of late. It's still going to be an issue moving forward. So that is something to consider. Hopefully you have shots in your league as well and he can help offset that because he is just a monster in terms of shot volume. Um, but yeah, like I, you know, knowing the waiver wire as well as we do, if Chitrin is maybe your fourth or fifth defenseman uh, and you've tried moving him and you can't get anything for him at this point, I can understand dropping him because, you know, like I said, if you have, if you're really solid at the position and you have better options that you don't have to worry about the dash one all season long, like you do have to a Chitrin. Uh, I get it. Um, but at the same time, like I said, if you're dropping him to pick up another defenseman, like you're not going to find a defenseman no. with that kind of opportunity, that kind of ice time, that kind of shot volume, anything on the wire, right? Like he's the ideal um, kind of defenseman that we'd be looking for on the wire. So I I'm with you. I can't get on board with dropping him just because the position is so shallow as it is. I can't imagine dropping a guy that shoots, you know, more than three times a game um, and is playing almost 30 minutes a night, uh, on some occasions. And I think he's averaging above 20, yeah, 25 a game right now. So yeah, it's just everything you'd want to find in a defenseman on the waiver wire. So he's not a guy that I'd be looking to drop unless I was absolutely loaded in the position and I exhausted all other options. Still only 68% owned right now. So pretty widely available, which is absurd to think about. It's probably not going up anytime soon, to be no. honest. And, and and I would go as far to say that if – I would buy low on him still. Yeah. Like, I, I think that that team is starting to turn a corner a little bit. They're obviously going to be dog shit. They're probably going to be last in the league for the entire season. But there's still plenty to get out of him. You know, obviously the plus minus is going to hurt. But it is what it is. It's still plus minus at the end of the day. If you can move your fourth, fifth defenseman for this guy because people are like just ex just exhausted with what they've got through 20 games, I'm completely fine with it. Um, 
68% owned. If you look at the guys drafted ahead of them, there is not a single player or defenseman, I should say, drafted ahead of him a below 95% owned. And the only other guy around that range is Shea Theodore and Tyson Berry. So uh, obviously a huge bust. Owners are frustrated through 20 games, but uh, I still love him. <laughs> you're not going to get that anywhere. It's yeah. it's incredible stuff. But uh, all right, moving to a couple goaltenders really quick before we fired over to the Blue Stones to cap off the show. Semyon Varlamov, uh, not a single win thus far this season. Has only played four games. Missed the start of the season with an injury. 3.31 goals against average. 894 save percentage. 0-3 on the year. Um, obviously, we talked about how they had a ridiculously long road trip to start the season. That's typically not going to help. But this team still, as of right now, everybody seems to think that they are the greatest defensive team that's ever graced the ice. Right now, they are 11th worst in the NHL in expected goals against per 60. Not good. Uh, they are giving up the second most scoring chances in the entire NHL. And they are giving up the fifth most high danger chances in the NHL. Barry Trotz is great, but everybody seems to think that this team does not give up high danger chances. Oh yeah, they give up shots, but they are very, they keep everything. Nothing. I'm, I'm done hearing about it. I've heard about it for years and they've never been as good defensively as everybody seems to think that they are. And I'm not buying it. I'm done. I'm done with the Islanders. Yeah, well, they've needed kind of great goaltending to, um, you know, kind of maybe mask some of those other issues and, and really play to the system that he wants to play, which he does obviously concede more outside looks than, than a lot of coaches. But sometimes, obviously, that can lead to high danger situations. And when you don't have the goalies to, um, you know, make those low danger chances as low danger as they should be, then, like I said, that, that kind of tactic gets um, a little bit exposed and that's what we've seen in the games that Varlamov has played this year obviously uh, Sorokin Sorokin yep nice I want to say like Sorkin like the screenwriter but anyway <laughs> um, yeah he he's obviously played a lot better than Varlamov when he has been in there got off to that tremendous start he's cooled off a bit of late um, but still, still, you know, in comparison to Varlamov, it, it hasn't even been a contest to date this season. So you look at the fact that one, we don't expect this team to be as good as it's been in recent years. Um, two, Varlamov himself has played very poorly in the games that he has played. Uh, and three, he might not even be starting half the games because Sorokin has played so much better than him. So, um, yeah, I mean, just nothing that you want to see here is what you're seeing from Varlamov to this point. If you wasted an early pick on him, uh, you know, you obviously weren't listening to the podcast. No, you did not listen to the podcast. Because we don't love any sort of, you know, goaltending tandems to at least to be going after that. Yeah, he was like the seventh goaltender off the board. Especially for a team that, you know, was best case probably going to be maybe leading their division if, you know, that's best case Ontario and probably looking at a, a fourth or fifth round, a fourth or fifth place conference seat. Anyway. This is all to say, I don't think it's going to be getting any better anytime soon for Varlamov. Um, and certainly a guy that if I could get something for him, I would. And if not, I'd be happy to drop him. Because, yeah, I don't even know how many starts he's going to get. So I can't even say just hold on to him and play him for the matchups because can't be sure that it's going to be worth it even when it does come. And I, I'm not convinced it's going to happen all too often. Maybe fire over a trade, Varlamov for Philip Grubauer. That's what I would do first. Just to see what happens. Just to see what happens. Well, um, so you. But gotta, yeah, if you were listening to the pod, you would know that Varlamov, not somebody we were a fan of at his ADP, and uh, I distinctly remember that these three guys I talked about going way too low. Carter Hart one, 
average ADP of 11th, 12th round, excuse me. Jacob Markstrom, average ADP of 12th round, best goalie in the league right now. And right. Jack Campbell has Elvis Merzlikens was like undrafted and he's been nothing short of spectacular. And then Jack Campbell, just an absolute monster. He wasn't going quite as late as all those guys, but I remember I loved all three Carter Hart, Jacob Markstrom, Elvis Merzlikens, and you guys drafted. Semyon Varlamov in the fifth round. Despicable. Despicable. Uh, speaking of Philip Grubauer, he has been a total nightmare. Not just him, though. The entire crease in Seattle <laughs> has been just a complete and utter disaster. Uh, Philip Grubauer is 5-8-1. He has a 3-18 goals against average. He has an 8-82 save percentage. He, his goal saved above average, minus 11.3. He's been an unmitigated disaster. Uh, but I still think that there is opportunity for this man to bounce back. There is certainly some buy-low appeal, and here is why. The Seattle Kraken are currently the second best at 5-5 in terms of expected goals against they have just been completely let down. They give up the fewest scoring chances against in the entire NHL. They give up the second fewest high danger chances in the NHL. But they have the league's worst save percentage at 8-6-9. Yep. Disaster. Um, I talked about Seattle a lot uh, leading up to the season. Obviously, everybody was pretty interested in, in what was going on here. And I said from the get-go that I do not expect this team to score many goals. But... Given the makeup of this team, given how good their blue line is uh, or looked, I expected them to be a very reliable defensive team, and I expected Grubauer to be pretty good, and everything has lined up the way I had expected. They aren't scoring a ton of goals. They are very reliable defensively, but Grubauer has just gone from a Vesna candidate to total dog shit. Um, but, you know, people will point towards how good Colorado was defensively, and that was the only reason that this man was good last year and a Vezina candidate. I will say that in 172 games, actually 155 starts, he had a 920 save percentage in a five-year span with Washington and Colorado. So this is not a guy who was a one-year fluke. This is a very good defensive team, and I think that there it would be very easy to buy low on Philip Grubauer right now. Yeah, and it is really surprising. Like We've never, ever seen this from him. Um like the lowest save percentage he posted in a full season before this was 916, which is above league average. Like he hasn't even had that one random blip of a down year where he's in and around 900. So to see him as low as 882, it's pretty shocking. Um, and yeah, it's certainly something that you would expect, you know, the 30 year old goaltender to be able to correct before too long. If he gets a uh, further opportunity, the nice thing is Dreger certainly did not run away with the job when he did no. finally get a chance. Uh, oh, and Grubauer is coming off his best start of the season. He stopped 37 or 39, uh, in their win against the Capitals the other night. So, uh, yeah, I, I, again, he's just one of these guys. And like a lot of the guys we talked about on the show, can't get any worse from him and i do still think that he's going to see the majority of the starts moving forward i think you know juju would really have to outplay him with obviously if grubauer doesn't improve it's a possibility but grubauer like i said i mean you know he's coming off his best game we've finally seen him have a good game um for the kraken and you know yes he's only ever played on good contending teams but his individual splits have always been solid and like you said this has actually been a really good team at 5v5 so far this season um it's funny too because we were expecting his splits to be there and if anything maybe the goals against be a little high and maybe he wouldn't get you as many wins as some of the other pure starters out there 
Um, and it's been the complete opposite, like you said, right? So yeah, it is a trend that I would expect to correct itself before too long. It's hard with goalies because there's not always a ton of underlying numbers to go off of when you're looking at regression, but I think you just have to trust the track record of a guy who's been so reliable and steady in Deuce Korea at this point, especially given that fact that he's only 30 years of age still. And it's not like we're talking about Seattle being a top five or top 10 defensive team where they're like, yeah, they're pretty good. They are legitimately elite defensively. The only team better than them right now at 5v5 is Boston. Yep. And we've seen how good Jeremy Swayman's been. Obviously, they're a better team overall, but this is a team um, that has been super good defensively, and Grubauer is a huge buy-low candidate. I would imagine you can get him for next to nothing. Um, but, all right, before we go, I'm going to give you the floor here to gloat about Nazem Kadri for a minute. Well, I just think that we don't always do a great job of patting ourselves on the back, aside from you here, Brock. Um, so, yeah, I think you know we couldn't really get through a whole show today without mentioning the ridiculous run that Nazem Kadri is on. Um, I think when McKinnon did first go down, there's a lot of people who were maybe overlooking Kadri uh, because he was still on that second line and Comfer was the one moving up to the top line and, and, you know, immediately moving up to the top power play unit. Obviously Comfer got hurt as well, but nonetheless, we, we talked about how we really believed um, that Kadri could still be productive in a second line role and simply just the uptick in minutes with what we've seen from him so far this year makes him a must own as long as McKinnon is out. Uh, and he's been on an absolute um, tear. Um, I think, what is he on now? Yeah, he's on a nine game uh, point streak uh, with just ridiculous numbers. 19 points in those nine games, five goals, 14 assists. Uh, he's on a four game multi-point streak. There's just... It just seems like every time you go to check the the Avalanche uh, box score, um, it's just riddled with Nazem Kadri these days. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to maybe highlight that and go back over it a little bit. Hopefully you guys picked up on that a couple of weeks ago and jumped on him when we said. Um, because as we said, you know, he was at about 28, 29%, I think, when McKinnon went out. Yeah. And we expected that to double within a week's time. And I think it's almost tripled that at this point. He's fourth in the league in points. Nazem Kadri. So the one question I'll pose to you, Brock, is what do you expect from Kadri once McKinnon returns? And do you think this is a guy that you imagine having on your roster for the full season at this point? So just quickly to go back to it, uh, obviously, you know, I, I would imagine that most of our listeners should have this guy on their team because uh, we mentioned him on a Thursday episode uh, as somebody to pick up. We mentioned him again on a Monday episode. We mentioned him on a Thursday episode again. And then I think we mentioned him again, like four episodes in a row. And we tweeted we continued, about it yeah, We continuously <laughs> talked about, please pick this guy up. So I hope that you guys did. The own percentage is up to 74%, which is hilarious. This guy's fourth league in scoring, and he's still only 74% owned. Um, I think that you've made a very good point, uh, kind of by accident, is that he hasn't really changed his role at all with Nathan McKinnon being out. Um, is there been a bit more ice time to go around lately? Certainly. Uh, we've seen, seen, we've seen him up the... over 20 minutes per night, but he's still a guy that is routinely, when McKinnon's in the lineup, around 18, 19 minutes a night. The role really hasn't changed. The one thing that has been a little bit different for him is he's now on the top power play unit. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't always at the start of the season. He has now power play points in five straight games. Yeah. He has six power play points in his last five. Uh, prior to that, he had zero power play points in his first 10 games. So I think that not only has he uh, awoken fantasy owners to how good he can be, but maybe, just maybe, 
He's awoken, if that's even a word, the avalanche coaching staff and saying, okay, holy shit, we've got a pretty damn good hockey player here, and he needs to be on this top power play unit. And it's funny because even at the tail end of his career with the Maple Leafs, like that was the one thing that he was still, you know, beating or out leading guys like Marner and Nylander for was in terms of power play time. Like that Tavares, first year there was Kadri Tavares, uh, Matthews, Marner and Riley was the top unit they played for the full season. Right. Nylander couldn't get a sniff. So um, yeah, it's always been a strength of his. He's always been good in the net front. He's always been good in the bumper. Uh, it's probably the two areas that, that both suit him the best. And it's probably, you know, where you would expect to find an opening uh, after uh, McKinnon returns, right. He could share one of those roles, um, or interchange with um, with Landeskog most likely. So um, yeah, I think that should hopefully be the the biggest long lasting effect out of this. Is even when McKinnon comes back, like I don't know why Kadri wouldn't be the fourth forward on that power play unit. I think he's clearly shown now he can offer a whole lot more value there than Comfort can, even when obviously he's healthy. Um, but yeah, I mean it took even um, four or five games of McKinnon being out for them to finally move Kadri up to the power play unit, and he basically had to force their hand because he was scoring or registering two or three points a game. So yeah, um, there's a lot to like here. Like you said, he can, I think he continued to be productive even in a second line role because he's playing so much. And certainly if he's on that top power play unit, uh, I think he's a comfortable must own for the rest of uh, the season. But in the meantime, just enjoy the hot streak uh, while McKinnon is out. Cause he couldn't have picked a better time to find his, you know, peak career form. It's just been crazy. Like just, just exceptional numbers, but that is going to do it for the, Seventh season, fifteenth, sixteenth episode. I can't remember. Sixteenth, sixteenth episode of the Daily Faceoff podcast. I'm your host, Brock Stegan. We had Dylan D. Burton. You know, Michael Hughes Bondi. We're hoping he'll be back next week. Uh, the one thing that I will say is, you know, obviously on this show we can't cover everything. We can't cover every league and every single thing in a once a week episode. So. If you ever have any questions, please feel free to reach out. Uh, I've been much better at, at getting to these questions this season, and I will continue to do so. So if you ever have any questions, please feel free to reach out to at Brock underscore Segan if you want to reach me directly, or if you want to just talk to the podcast, one of us three will get to you at DFO Podcast. So uh, obviously, again, you know, we, we do our best to try to make sure that we cover the, a, a large variety of topics on a, on a given week, but... Again, we can't cover everything. So if you have questions, feel free to reach out. We will certainly answer those. Hope you guys enjoyed. Please, please go give us a five-star review on iTunes. Always looks good when you go up there and see that rating just creeping up. So I'm Brock Segan, Dylan D. Berthy. See you guys back here next week. Happy Thanksgiving. Peace. Baby, be my fire. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.